Welcome to the Man Cave. It's the Man Cave Football Podcast with Dan Gasper. It is the Man Cave Football Podcast, and I am your host, Dan Casper. As always, appreciate you tuning in to another episode of the podcast. And if you are a first-time listener, welcome. Where have you been? If you haven't subscribed to the podcast yet, hey, we're available everywhere. iTunes, Google, Spotify, Stitcher, all that good stuff. Just uh, make sure you give us a good rating afterwards. Uh, but we got lots to talk about recapping week three of the NFL season. We've got studs and duds, games to watch in week four, headlines. Power rankings. Also, I'm talking with Mark Beach, uh, senior editor of the Players Tribune, but he's got a new book coming out uh, as well called The People's Team, an illustrated history of the Green Bay Packers, honoring the 100 years over there for Green Bay. So Mark uh, was kind enough to join me for a little bit to talk about his book that's coming out at the beginning of October. So we'll be talking with Mark as well in this podcast, but uh, we're going to kick things off with little headlines. Uh, Obviously, one of the big headlines from last week, Antonio Brown, done. Uh, And honestly, good. Uh, I hate talking about this drama surrounding him in the NFL. Patriots, you know what? Had him for a game. They they move on from him. They release him. He tweets he's done. He tweets he's going back to school. He's taking some online classes. Central Michigan. I think he is done. I mean, what other team would give him a chance? What other team should give him a chance? Nobody. He's got to get himself figured out. His friends got to get him uh, some help and help him out there. But uh, I think we're, we're we're done seeing Antonio Brown play in the NFL. And it's a shame. I mean, you know. Guy's extremely talented, but he's got some issues going on right now, and he needs some help. He needs some help. But uh, the, the main headline I, I, I kind of want to really get into is week three. We saw some backup quarterbacks or some uh, you know new quarterbacks, I should say, getting their first starts or coming in and playing some really good football. And you know what? Maybe we need to start paying attention to some of these names right now. The you know the guy that's been around for a, a longer than these other ones, Teddy Bridgewater, highest paid backup quarterback in the. NFL getting the start for the Saints. They had to go over to Seattle and try to get the job done without Drew Brees. And Teddy Bridgewater did it. He looked a little sketchy against the Rams, but you know, last week when he had to come in for Drew Brees when he got hurt, you know, Teddy Bridgewater wasn't preparing to be the starter, so you kind of give him a little bit, uh, uh, kind of give him the benefit of the doubt, if you will, for that game. Sean Payton off in the New Orleans uh, Saints prepared him all week to be the starter, and he went out there and proved why the Saints made him the highest paid backup quarterback. I mean, the Saints had a veteran quarterback, Drew Brees. Obviously, they they know that 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 train runs as far as Drew Brees is going to take them. But they also knew that you know what, we better invest in a backup quarterback in case something happens that won't completely derail us off this track. And it worked, yeah. And it worked. I mean, talk about going into a tough environment over there in Seattle and trying to come away with a victory. And that's what Teddy Bridgewater did uh, for the Saints. And the Saints got a big, big, big win, huge win against uh, the Seahawks on the road. So Teddy Bridgewater, we, we, we know him, but there's these other guys. Daniel Jones. Sixth overall pick in a draft. Giants making the move to bench Eli Manning and giving the reins over to their future starting quarterback. And Daniel Jones, wow, uh, talk about uh, what a way to get your first start. Come from behind victory uh, against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, getting the victory over there, just throwing the ball all over the place. He, You know what? Might have to shoulder more of the load, uh, at least uh, for the next few weeks, maybe in the next month or two, with Saquon Barkley out with an ankle injury. But you know what? Don't like to overreact just to one game. Don't like to overreact just to one game, but Daniel Jones looked 
pretty dang good. Pretty dang good. A little bit more authority on that on that ball, and a little bit more scrambling ability as well, which uh, with the Giants, you kind of need that to, to help yourself out. But uh, Daniel, Daniel Jones, talk about a great start uh, to his career. Jacoby Brissett, we know him a, a little bit more as well. Uh, came on the scene a couple years ago with the Patriots when he was third on that depth chart, uh, when Tom Brady was uh, suspended for the first four games of the season. Jimmy Garoppolo came in, ended up getting hurt. Jacoby came in uh, as well. So, And then he was traded to the Colts last year. Now he's their starter with Andrew Luck uh, announcing his retirement in the preseason. You know, I was one of them that I thought, you know, the Colts are going to make the playoffs, but then Andrew Luck retires. And I'm thinking, all right, he ain't, the Colts aren't going anywhere. They're not going to make the playoffs. They're not going to win the division. You know what? I, I doubted Jacoby Brissett. I mean, again, I, I don't want to read too much into it. He's still pretty young and doesn't have a whole lot of games under his belt. But uh, uh, he did fill in quite a bit for Andrew Luck, though. Uh, in the past, but still kind of an unknown type of quarterback, and he looks to be a lot more comfortable now. A lot more comfortable, so kudos to Jacoby Brissett, kudos to Frank Reich and the Colts over there for getting him ready because, guarantee you, he didn't expect to start off this season being the Indianapolis Colts starting quarterback after Andrew Luck just led him back to the playoffs last year, so Jacoby Brissett, I, hey, I'm sorry right now that I doubted you. I'm sorry that I doubted you because he looks to be uh, looking pretty good right now as well. And then, maybe Maybe a couple of uh, bigger unknown names. Let's start off with Kyle Allen, uh, Carolina Panthers. Uh, sounds like Cam Newton's going to be out for a while with a Liz Franck injury. And uh, if you know anything about the, those type of injuries in your foot, they take forever to heal. And sometimes you don't really get back to yourself. And with a big quarterback like Cam, he likes to run around a little bit. But, I mean, that's a lot of pressure on that foot, too. Uh, so it, it affects him as a quarterback. Not just because of running, but it affects him, uh, you know, transferring that weight, that little weight to throw the ball. So Kyle Allen, he might be getting some uh, more starts. Well, he is going to be getting some more starts in the near future, but maybe a little bit longer than what uh, the Carolina Panthers would have hoped so. But he went out there and he got the victory too. He goes out there and is flinging the ball all over the place. So Kyle Allen, you know, going up against the Cardinals, the Carolina Panthers did last week. He goes out there and goes 19 of 26 against the Cardinals for 261 yards and four touchdown passes. Kyle Allen, you know, Christian McCaffrey helping him out uh, by going for 24 carries and 153 yards. But, I mean, who's this guy, you know, coming in there and filling in for Cam Newton? So a stellar performance from him. And then maybe everybody's new favorite quarterback in the league, and I'm talking about Jacksonville Jaguars quarterback Gardner Minshew. I mean, I think everybody wants this guy to succeed. <laughs> he's a character. Uh, he's loving life right now. <laughs> and he's playing some good ball uh, against uh, Tennessee last Thursday. 20 of 30, over 200 yards passing, two touchdowns, no interceptions, a quarterback rating of uh, 108.2. Here's the thing, though. I, I don't know. I don't want to jump the bandwagon or jump the gun and say he's going to be their, quarter, their starting quarterback down the line, but don't you kind of feel bad for a guy like Nick Foles? You know, Nick Foles gets the big contract for what he did with Philadelphia the past couple years, leading them to a Super Bowl, gets a big contract with Jacksonville, reunites with uh, with DeFilippo, the offensive coordinator who worked with him in uh, Philly as a quarterback coach gets hurt the first game of the season with a broken collarbone and you have Gardner coming in and he's lighting it up he's playing really good football 
football. You know, Nick Foles is going to be a good teammate. He's been in that situation. Nick Foles understands Gardner's role. If there's another quarterback that understands what Gardner's going through right now and going through the success, it's Nick Foles. But you still feel bad for Nick Foles. I don't know what the plan is going to be when Nick Foles gets healthy. i got to imagine they're going to go back to him. They're paying him a lot of money. But what happens if Gardner continues to play this well? What happens? I mean, Jacksonville just got their first win, so not getting too high on it. But everybody loves themselves some Gardner right now. He's a personality. He's a character. And he's playing some good football, too. So, uh, you know, week three, my main headline for week three was no-name quarterbacks or old quarterbacks resurrecting themselves, Teddy Bridgewater, or, you know, guys getting first-time starts and playing really well, playing really well. So, you know, when we talk about quarterbacks in the league, it's Patrick Mahomes, it's Tom Brady, it's Aaron Rodgers. Week three might have been highlighted by those other guys, those other quarterbacks right there. So that's, uh, that's my headlines from week three. I'm going to actually lead it into now with uh, my power rankings because I'm going to kind of combine headlines and power rankings for, for this one because we have eight teams that are still undefeated in the NFL. Eight teams, seven of them are 3-0, and lines 2-0-1, but they're technically undefeated right now. Uh, so uh, looking at it, you've got uh, the Patriots, the Chiefs, the Rams, the Cowboys, the Packers, the Bills, Lions, and the 49ers, all undefeated. Again, the lines are 2-0-1. They would be undefeated if they didn't uh, lose that lead against the Cardinals in, in week one there. But So I'm con- kind of combining this headlines into power rankings because I'm going to rank uh, my eight undefeated teams, who I think is the best and kind of weird to say who's the worst undefeated team that's not a slight on them but you know they're still obviously these are the eight best teams maybe not the eight best teams i gotta catch myself right there because i'd still put baltimore uh, probably ahead of uh, some of these teams right here i'd still put baltimore so i'm gonna change it up mid midway as i just uh, discussed this so this is what i'm gonna do i'm gonna rank my top eight undefeated teams and then i'll do some power rankings my top five power rankings so i'm gonna go back to the original how we do things but the the number eight undefeated team i'm gonna go the lions although that's again not a slight on them at all it's not a slight on them at all i thought they might be a little bit sneaky this year everybody was just so quick to discount the lions and i'm like you know what they made some gains this offseason bringing in some players so i I didn't really want to be the quick that guy to really quickly discount them i still thought they'd finish last in the division um but they're they're solid team they're a solid team uh right above them though i'm gonna go with the buffalo bills uh the bills are a little bit of a surprise to me they they got a big game coming up this weekend against uh the patriots which we'll get to here in a little bit uh, and games to watch but i probably would put the bills slightly above the lions although you probably don't have to convince me too hard to put the bills at eight and the lines at seven it's neck and neck right there for me uh then i would probably put the 49ers again you know you can almost group these teams i think in three different clusters and I'll explain it at the end. You know, 49ers, Jimmy Garoppolo uh, playing playing pretty solid, but the 49ers are going through a lot of injuries right now, especially at that running back position. But I'm going to put the 49ers uh, just above the Bills too. But if we're putting these teams in groups, I'd probably put the 49ers and the Lions and the Bills in the same group. And in the next group, I would put the Packers leading them off uh, next uh, on my list. This is from bottom to top, by the way, if, if I didn't mention that. But then I'd put the Packers. Defense is playing really good. I know there's still some concerns about this Packers offense with Matt LaFleur, Aaron Rodgers. Here's the thing. He's still Aaron Rodgers. Uh, 
Uh, they're still figuring things out. Uh, I, I trust that this offense is going to get better, but I think we have to get off that mindset that this is not going to be a 2011 or a 2014 Packers offense where they're just going to throw the ball all over the dang place. We want to see the Packers run the ball more. They're going to run the ball more. They're going to have shorter passing games uh, with the occasional deep ball uh, uh, down the field or down the sideline. I just think we just have to get out of that mindset. This is not going to be a 2011 or 2014 Packers offense. So it'll get better. It just won't get to that level because that's not this type of offense. Uh, the other team I'd put in this Packers group and the final one uh, would probably be the Cowboys. I'm going to go Cowboys there. That's dangerous team on offense. They've got receiving weapons. Cooper, Cobb, Jason Witten. Uh, best running back in the in the league in Ezekiel Elliott. Dak Prescott's playing some good football under a contract here. That defense is solid as well. Cowboys looking like a really, really, really good team right now. Really good team right now. I, I, you can say what you want about the quality of teams they've played. They've got the Packers coming up next week. That's going to be a good game, but overall, you got to like the talent on the Cowboys right now. And uh, Kellen Moore already putting his name out there as a potential head coach. You know he's going to get interviews already next year. Not saying he's going to get a job, but you know he's going to get interviews next year. And then in the final group, the tier, top tier group, if you will, coming in at number three, I'm going to put the Rams. Uh, they're still good. <laughs> uh, they still got a good offense. Solid defense over there. Aaron Donald still leading away on that defense. Dante Fowler's playing some really good football uh, for them this year as well. So I've got the Rams at three. I'm going to go with the Chiefs at two. That offense is legit. Defense is still trying to figure out their ways. Remember, this is a completely different defense. They, they completely overhauled it from last year, changing from a 3-4 to a 4-3. New defensive coordinator, a bunch of new players. But I'm putting the Chiefs at two. And, of course, the Empire, the New England Patriots at number one. Going to put the Patriots as the best uh, undefeated team as of right now. So how about my top five power rankings? So those were my rankings of the best undefeated teams. How about my top five best teams overall? Well, let's start with number five. I actually have a tie between five. My podcast, my rules, I can do what I want, right? Uh, So 5A, 5B, if you will. I'm going to put the Ravens and the Packers there. I know the Ravens just lost uh, to the Chiefs, but Lamar Jackson is looking for real people. I mean, he was able to, you know, kind of, I I know the garbage time, you know, they kind of got closer at the end there, but they were still able to hang for the most part with that Chiefs offense. Talked about it last week. Usually when we talk about Baltimore, you talk about defense. That offense, though, I'm getting more and more impressed with Lamar Jackson. So I've got Baltimore there tied with the Packers at five. That Packers defense, kind of the flip side, when you talk about the Packers, historically, it's been about the offense with Aaron Rodgers. Now it's about their defense. that can all come together, that might be a team to watch out. So I got Packers and Ravens at number five. Number four, I'm going to go with the Dallas Cowboys. I, I like the overall makeup of that team right now. I want to see them play against a little bit tougher uh, competition, and they will, and they will down the line there, but they're off to a great start as well. I've got the Rams at number three. Uh, I'm going Chiefs to Patriots one. So really, it's kind of the same as my rankings for the undefeated teams, but I got to put the Ravens in there. I, I had to find a way to put the Ravens in there just a little bit because I think they're going to be, I think there's the cream of the crop in the AFC North now. Uh, it's not the Browns. I thought I, I drank that Kool-Aid with the Browns. I'm drinking the Kool-Aid with the Ravens right now. Let's move on to studs and duds from week three. Going back to the Packers, Packers defense. How about the Smith guys? The Smith brothers. Zedarius Smith, Preston Smith, big free agent acquisitions for Green Bay this past offseason, paying huge dividends for that Packers defense right now. Huge dividends uh, for that team. Where would this team be without those guys? Uh, big week for them against the Denver Broncos. Uh, going Daniel Jones, shout out, rookie quarterback for the Giants, his first career start. Uh, Kyle Allen, Carolina Panthers. You heard me mention uh, the, those 
those two guys, along with Gardner Minshew, who I'm putting in here as my studs. Great week for those three quarterbacks and maybe putting their names on the map there a little bit. Daniel Jones obviously was getting more attention because he was a first-round pick and a sixth overall pick, but uh, those were my three quarterback studs. And then I'm going uh, Shaquille Barrett, uh, the, the edge rusher for Tampa Bay. Maybe not a popular name out there coming over from Denver, was behind Von Miller and Bradley Chubb, but playing really, really well for that Tampa Bay Buccaneers defense right now. So those are my studs from week three. Who are my duds? Steelers. Next year, maybe? Who knows? 0-3 right now. 0-3 for the Steelers. Not looking good. Uh, let's go Dan Snyder, Washington Redskins. What the heck? Yeah, Dan Snyder, you know, Washington might need to clean house, but they might need to clean house with ownership too. Get somebody in there that knows what they're doing with football. Come on. Dwayne Haskins got to start playing. They, they, oh, that, that team needs a complete overhaul. They, they need some help over there. Bruce Arians, why he's my dud. The comment he made about taking the delay of game uh, penalty, so his kicker, because he thought his kicker was better from longer distance. Yeah. Okay. No, that's not true. Uh, then my final dud, Denver's defense. A Vic Fangio-led defense with Bradley Chubb and Von Miller and Chris Harris Jr. has yet to create a turnover and yet to have a sack. Come on! How is that possible? How is that possible? It shouldn't be. So those are my duds uh, from week three. And finally, my games to watch before we get to our chat uh, w- with Mark Beach. Uh, my games to watch for week four as we approach the end of the first quarter of the NFL season. I've got four of them I'm watching. So a little bit more than, than the last episode here. But I'm looking at Browns versus Ravens. You know, I thought the Browns were going to be the team in the AFC North. A lot of people thought uh, the Browns were. And I was one of them drinking that Kool-Aid. Ravens looking pretty dang good. Uh, people panicking about the Browns right now. So this is a big game for uh, for the Cleveland Browns. And Baltimore maybe can really make a statement saying, yep, we are the premier team in the AFC North. Uh, Patriots-Bills, battle of two unbeatens. Uh, can the Bills give the Patriots a loss this year? Can they do it? Bills might be America's team this week. Just I think everybody outside of New England, outside of Boston, is going to be rooting for the Bills this weekend. Uh, everybody's a Buffalo Bills fan. Bills Mafia. Vikings-Bears. You know what? The, this still could be a game uh, to help decide the division. Both of these two teams, I know they're behind the Packers and the Lions in, in the division, but these are two still really, really, really good football teams, and they're both coming off of uh, impressive wins, big wins. Uh, you can say what you want about the quality of opponents, but the Vikings and the Bears both dominated uh, the Raiders in Washington in, in Week 3, so they're going up at it uh, against each other for the first time this year. And then I'm going Cowboys Saints. Saints, uh, big win on the road uh, in Seattle with Teddy Bridgewater at quarterback. Can they slow down the Cowboys? And can Teddy Bridgewater put together another solid game? You know the Cowboys are going to go in there and try to stop Alvin Kamara. Can Teddy Bridgewater uh, have another solid game and lead the Saints to another win. All right, let's finish up uh, the podcast. Uh, I was able to chat with Mark Beach. He's the author of, of a new book coming out called The People's Team. An Illustrated History of the Green Bay Packers. And, well, all of you know me. I love my history. So it was awesome to chat uh, with Mark before his book came out. Here's our conversation. In honor of uh, the 100 seasons in the NFL, Packers also honoring their 100 seasons for the past couple years here. We've got a new book coming out, The People's Team, An Illustrated History of the Green Bay Packers, coming out October 8th. And the author of this awesome book, Mark Beach, joining me right now, to discuss it. Mark, thank you so much for taking some time uh, to discuss your new book that's coming out here very soon. Oh, thanks very much, and thanks for having me, Dan. Absolutely. So first thing, uh, first, what uh, what was your motivation to write this book? What drove you to write this book? 
Well, I knew that the Packers' 100th birthday was coming up. Uh, it actually passed already in August. It was August 11th of this year. Uh, the team turned 100 years old. So I wanted to do something that uh, coincided with that. But as I started to look into whether there were books out there on this topic or books coming up on this topic, I found that there were really uh, neither. Um, there wasn't even really a, a very good biography of Curly Lambeau. Uh, so I wanted to um, examine not only the early history of the team, but also uh, you know, put everything together in one narrative uh, place, so to speak. Um, so that there would be a, a story from beginning to end. And the, the great thing about this project was, was learning that the, the Packers and the city of Green Bay really are, you know, um, a terrific story together. Mm-hmm. You know, to kind of lead into that, uh, I, I've talked to Cliff Crystal. I know he's you, you've talked to him with your book as well, the Packers team historian, and he's called it the best, if not one of the best stories in sports history. Would you agree with that? And also, if you had to pick a chapter within that story, I know it's pretty hard to, but if you had to pick a chapter in that Packers history, what would that chapter, or what would stand out to you? What's your favorite part of that Packers story? Uh, you know, I think I want, I had, the one I had the most fun writing was the uh, the chapter on the the um, late 60s championship teams. The, the, you know, the, the Vince Lombardi teams that won all those uh, championships because you could find a greater meaning, you know, um, the Packers before then had been a uh, purely the, the property of Green Bay in more ways than one. Obviously, the the, the town-owned team way, but they were also um, sort of a, you know a provincial possession, a provincial heirloom. Um, but in the '60s, they crossed over into something much more. And I I think the rise of television and the NFL had a lot to do with that. I mean, when John McCain was shot down in Vietnam in 1967. Uh, and they were torturing him and asking him for the names of men in his unit. The names he gave were the members of the Packers' offensive line. Mm. Um, you know, it, it just, the team transcended so many different levels. And I learned a lot about that team when, when I think I, I thought I already knew about that team, all there was to know. How um, long? So that was a lot of fun. Um, you know, it is, as far as the, um, the, the Packers and the, and the city of Green Bay, I think that there's no team in the NFL and there's no team in in major North American sports, really, that's as much of the, the place from which they come. You know, that the Packers are defined by, or the city of Green Bay is defined by the Fox River, uh, much more than the, than, the, than the bay itself. Mm-hmm. Um, what what side of the river you come from is, is uh, part of your Green Bay uh, DNA. And, and it, uh, you know, people from one side of the river today say that they can't imagine coming from the other side. And so it's, you know, that that rivalry and that, that uh, sort of split definition uh, is what gave rise to the to the Packers themselves in, in the in the um in the history of the Green Bay East and Green Bay West rivalry. Um, so the Packers really, you know, they grew out of the city and they grew out of the land. Uh, and they grew from a, a thing that was specifically of Green Bay, to something that became much larger, and they never really have gone back from that. It's a, it's a beautiful, uh, well-written book. Uh, the pictures are just awesome in, in this book. How long did it actually take you from start to finish, Mark, uh, to complete this book? When did you start it? Uh, you know, I started it kind of late. I, I had the idea in um, oh, probably in the spring of 2017, and I had to get a, get a proposal together for, for publishers and things. Uh, to get to my agent to, to try to sell the idea. 
So I think when I actually started writing it was somewhere in the early summer of of 2017, and I I would have liked to have had more time, but it also uh, it, you know having a deadline focuses the mind, mm-hmm. uh, and I you know it really um, I, I probably finished you know with revisions and everything probably it, it was almost exactly two years. Uh, Mark, well, you mentioned the, the John McCain note. Was there another nugget uh, during your extensive research, or a little bit of a, a, a of a story that you found surrounding this long history of the Packers that you, you kind of like? Wow, that 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 that's really interesting, and I never heard about that before. Well, you know, I think um, I, there's there's uh, actually quite a few, um, but uh, the one that stands out to me, I think that that um, you know, not a lot of people know is that that um, Dan Devine. The coach who took over in the '70s and had a very controversial tenure. Um, he had some success, and he had a lot of defeat. Um, and he wound up making the worst trade in team history when he traded for for John Hadle. Um, and uh, I think that you know he came from a a um, background, a family background. He was from Wisconsin. He was not an outsider to, to the area at all. But he came from a background, his family history was actually much more complicated than I thought. And I thought it went a long way to explaining why he had a hard time relating to people. You know, he had the, um, had basically been, he was one of nine children and, and his parents in, in the, the Great Depression had sent him to live with his aunt and uncle. And he never went back and lived with his family again. And, and he actually wrote about this defining trauma of his childhood years. Um, I think I found out that George Whitney Calhoun, the, the co-founder of the team, uh, always said that um, you know he was he was afflicted with uh, physical ailments when he was an older man, and that the source of those was an injury he'd suffered in college playing football. I could find no evidence that he'd ever played any sports in hmm. in college, or even that he'd actually gone to college. <laughs> um, so there were some fun things like that to find out that um, you know his, his problems were much more the you know caused by rheumatoid arthritis. But uh, I think because he helped found this, what became this juggernaut of the NFL, uh, heirloom of the NFL, he um, sort of felt compelled to, to attach a sports angle to his um, to his uh, personal history. Talking with author Mark Beach, uh, he's got a new book coming out, The People's Team, an Illustrated History of the Green Bay Packers. Uh, you also have a, a few essays written by a few people, uh, including Peter King, and uh, I've gotten to talk to Peter a, a couple times, and he definitely comes off as, as he appreciates uh, the history of the Packers. Did you have to do a lot of convincing to, to Peter to write an essay for you in this book, or was it a pretty easy sell? No, not at all. Peter was um, happy to help uh, and was, you know, apologetic when he missed his first deadline, which I was like, I was a colleague at Sports Illustrated with Peter for many years, and I was like, that's perfectly okay. Uh, he was terrific. Um, and, and the essays are, uh, you know, a lot of fun. Chuck Mercine, the ice bowl fullback, mm-hmm. wrote an essay for me, and um, he was a delight to talk to. Um, he still, he played for the Packers for, I think, about two years, uh, but is regarded, uh, you know, very warmly by the, the Green Bay fans. Um, David Neft, the uh, the guy who wrote the baseball encyclopedia, who sort of invented uh, the modern style of baseball encyclopedia writing, he uh, he did an essay for me, and he was great to talk to. And Austin Murphy, another colleague of mine from Sports Illustrated, did a, did a beautiful one, sort of on on Lambeau Field itself. 
I was reading a chapter in your book uh, with the 40s, the Don Hudson era, and before you started talking about Don Hudson, you, you had a nice uh, background about uh, Clark Hinkle, and it got me wondering, is there a Packer player in history you think, Mark, that you know maybe doesn't get the the amount of recognition that they deserve? And I know there's a lot of good players that, that came through Green Bay, but is there one that you think that maybe doesn't get quite the recognition that they should? Oh, that's interesting. That's a really good question. You know, um, just to hit on Hinkle and Hudson, uh, they're from the same era, and I think most people would tell you that, that Don Hudson was a greater player, but, uh, you know, Clark Hinkle was always regarded as the best player that most of his teammates ever played with. Um, but I think that there are two specifically from my book that that are deserving of greater recognition. One is, is Vern Llewellyn, mm. who was a halfback in the 20s and early 30s, was was the best player on the three championship teams, uh, 29, 30, and 31. Uh, and he was just a, a fabulous player, and he's not in the Hall of Fame. Um, he's, you know, got a, I think he's got the most touchdowns from his era. Uh, was a leading scorer in the league a couple of years and um, was just a marvelous punter in an era when the game revolved around punters almost as much as it does around quarterbacks today. And um, Vern Llewellyn is really a guy who's been overlooked, and, and a lot of his teammates uh, said as much when they had the first Hall of Fame induction. I think it was, um, oh, it was Johnny Blood said something like it, but one of his teammates said, um, you know, if he's not in the Hall of Fame, it's a, it's a, if Vern Llewellyn isn't in the Hall of Fame, it's a joke. Uh, the other player I would say is um, more deserving of recognition than he's gotten is Leroy Butler. Mm. I think most fans know about him. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the Packers had some great safeties in their history, but I think uh, Leroy Butler stands head and shoulders above a lot and stands head and shoulders above the league he was in. And, um, you know, he was drafted by Tom Bratz and Lindy Infante. Um, so he, you know, both those guys are now passed on, um, and they, they didn't have really distinguished careers with the Packers. Uh, Tom Bratz and Lindy Infante are remembered in the draft, much more for drafting Tony Mandarich. Mm-hmm. Um, but Leroy Butler is really, you know, he lacks that champion. You know, uh, there's no there's no guy to, like, burnish his own legacy by touting the legacy of Leroy Butler. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I think that Leroy is really lost out in that respect, and, and the guys who are left to carry on for him mm-hmm. are his teammates, and, and Brett Favre has spoken up for him, certainly, and, and other guys have too, but but I think the guys are going into the Hall of Fame now. Um, was it Woodson who went in the Hall of Fame last year or two years ago? Um, who I think that Leroy Butler should really be in the Hall of Fame before that guy. Mm-hmm. Uh, Mark, you know, the 90s, a lot of talk about that with Favre, Reggie White, Ron Wolf, Mike Holmgren. But does Bob Harlan maybe not get a lot of credit or a lot of attention in fans' eyes, for, in your opinion, for what he did for that franchise and maybe even keeping it in Green Bay? Yeah, you know, I, I, it's another really excellent point. Um, if there's a hero of my book, in, in a way, I think it's Bob Harlan. I, I think that um, what he did in in, um, in identifying that, that what they were doing was not working. You know, he loved Judge Perrins, and, and Judge Perrins did some good things for that team. But when he took over as president uh, from Perrins in, in uh, 89, I think it was, or 87, um you know, he, he instantly uh, turned that franchise around almost. You know, after the mirage of uh, 89, when Don Mikowski led that miraculous season, um, 
Bob Harlan made the tough decisions and, and brought in Ron Wolf and allowed Ron Wolf to do what he was going to do. Ron Wolf was like, we got to change coaches. And Bob Harlan was like, okay. And Ron Wolf said, we, I'm going to trade for Brett Favre. I'm going to trade a number one pick for Brett Favre. And Bob Harlan was like, okay. And, and he really was at the mainspring of, of that, uh, that revival. And uh, he, he spent the money for Reggie White. And then uh, in the late 90s, when they needed a, uh, you know, they needed more revenue. Lambeau Field was fine, but it was open for basically, you know, 10 days a year. And he turned it into a year-round destination uh, through the renovation in 2003 and, and won a, a barely fought uh, referendum to get that money approved, to get public money approved. Um, you know, the, the Packers are now still in Green Bay, and then they're in Green Bay for the long haul. And that, that's because of what Bob Harlan was able to do with the renovation of, of Lambeau Field. And it was so effective that it has all been paid off. And uh, the last renovation they did in 2011, I think, the team paid for it all themselves. Mm-hmm. And the, the the new stadium in Milwaukee, the, you know, the, the Packers, the Brewers Stadium, Miller Park, is still not totally paid for <laughs> as much as, uh, you know, you know, I, I think what's great, what's going on with the Brewers. I, I just, um, it's, it's a, it's a very clear dichotomy. What you know, what was done with that stadium, what was done with Lambeau Field. Mm-hmm. Mark Beach, uh, the author of the new book coming out October eighth, the People's Team and Illustrated History of the Green Bay Packers. Before I let you go, Mark, uh, you're going to write a book on Packers history. I got to ask you this question: Your vote, who's the best Packer of all time? Oh wow, wow, the best Packer of all time. Um, I would have to say, I, and it probably has a lot to do with when I came of age, but I think you'd have a hard time uh, putting anybody above Brett Favre. I, I just think that, that what he did um, was was um, phenomenal. And I, I don't, um, you know, I, I know a lot of people want to say Bart Starr, and I, I, I totally see the logic in that argument. Um and I'm making a lot of people mad. You're not supposed to do this to me. <laughs> uh, Bart Starr Bart Star had um, a great running game behind him. You know, Paul Horning, who I think belongs in that conversation, uh, and Jim Taylor were his running backs. They had, when he first started winning championships, they had one of the best running games in the league. And when they finished winning championships, they had six Hall of Famers on that defense who started on that defense. Mm-hmm. And Brett Favre never had anything like that. And when he did, he won a Super Bowl. Um, but he really, for a lot of years, was the, the only reason the Packers were any good sometimes. And uh, I just, um, you know, he only had a losing season one time in his career. It's it's phenomenally not only what he did, but what he was able to do. Mm-hmm. Um, it was incredible. So I I think I'd vote for Favre, but I I think you you Clark Hinkle, Don Hudson, you know Bart Starr. <laughs> Obviously, you know, there's there's a lot of good candidates, but I, my vote would go for Favre. Uh, my vote, uh, I, got, I don't know if you, you probably don't know this, Mark, uh, but I got to go Hudson. I, I named my son after Don Hudson, so he's got a special place in my heart right there a little bit. I did know that, and I think that's a very good pick. I think that's a terrific pick. <laughs> hey, Mark, you can you can pre-order uh, Mark's book right now, The People's Team and Illustrated History of the Green Bay Packers. Uh, you can pre-order it on Amazon. It comes out October 8th. Anywhere else uh, you want to send people to, to order your book, Mark? Well, I mean, it's in all the usual places, Amazon.com, of course, and uh, 
it'll be in bookstores and uh it's on barnesandnoble.com and and uh the Houghton Mifflin website the Houghton Mifflin Harcourt website um it's all over the place and and um I'll be in Green Bay in a in a few weeks and uh I think October 10th I'll be at the Barnes and Noble or oh, October perfect. 11th in Green Bay Perfect I was just going um, to ask if you're going to be over there and, Okay cool I'll have to make sure to get on over there and I'll meet you and have you sign my copy mark I would love to see you. That'd be great. Awesome. Mark Beach, again, the People's Team and Illustrated History of the Green Bay Packers. I could probably talk to you all day about Packers history. I love this stuff. I really appreciate you uh, taking the time to talk to us in the Chippewa Valley uh, about this uh, iconic franchise. Oh, it was my pleasure. Thank you. That's it for this edition of the Man Cave Football Podcast. Reminder, you can subscribe to our podcast wherever podcasts are found. iTunes. Spotify, Stitcher, Google, all that good stuff. Just uh, make sure you leave us a good rating while you're at it. Next week, we'll be back at it, recapping the first quarter of the NFL season. I'm Dan Casper, and this is the Man Cave Football Podcast.